Welcome to Regal's Frycast, where we share all things LIDAR. I'm Miranda Welke, Marketing Events Coordinator for Regal USA. This series features interviews with industry experts from around the world, innovative LIDAR applications, best practices, workflow advice, and even exciting news about hardware and software. The podcasts are produced by Regal at their North American headquarters located in Central Florida and available worldwide through our Regal newsroom on www.regal.com. Please visit our website to subscribe to the newsroom. Simply input your email address and click. It's that easy. The regal.com website is a great place to find detailed information on the many LiDAR scanning hardware, firmware, and software products that Regal provides or request more information or a call from a Regal specialist. In today's RightCast episode, we continue on with road trips with Josh as he ventures down the street to talk to Ted Knack, founder of TopoDot. Listen in as Ted provides background information on his start in the industry and how he came to recognize the need for a software platform. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to another Regal RyeCast episode of Road Trips with Josh and the VMX. Today, I'm not going very far at all. I'm going to be talking with Ted Knack, the founder of Topodot. It also is well known that he started Regal USA back in the early 90s. Ted has a long history with laser scanning products and was one of the early leaders in making sure mobile mapping technology was well received and could be utilized by all the departments of transportation. So it is my pleasure to welcome Ted Knack to the Regal RyeCast. Well, thank you, Josh. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for your time today. So we'll jump right into this. Early on, you recognized the need for a software platform to sort of connect the dots between the acquisition of data and the final end user. Do you have a short story of how that realization came to be? Oh, gosh, a short story. Um, Well, you know me, none of my stories are too short, but I'll try to summarize. (laughs) The story that actually pops out in my mind is back in the early days of, of mobile scanning, the first mobile scanners were coming out. And I found myself at the Intergeo conference. And uh, for those who don't know, that's the, a big European conference that happens in Germany every year. It's, a, it's one of the biggest geospatial conferences in the world, if not the biggest, I think. And I was walking down the aisles, looking at all the new hardware that was coming out that was acquiring point clouds. And, and they were pretty rough back in those days. We're talking probably 15, 16 years ago. We just had our first scanners and we were having a devil of a time trying to get uh, a deliverable out of the data. And I just remember walking down and I said, where is all this data going? Now that had to be in the early 2000s. And then we, had to, we basically experienced the frustrations we sold the first, you know, with actually extracting deliverable products from the data. And we dealt with those frustrations for quite a while in my Regal days. You know, we were actually selling Regal equipment. And it was interesting, the common theme and feedback from our customers was, well, the equipment's great and, and Regal equipment always does what it's supposed to do, you know, fires a point cloud, but we can't get a deliverable. And they were just not happy. So we tried several third-party softwares and I just didn't think they were doing it the right way. I have a technical background in signal processing, so I kind of looked at it differently. And I tried to tell people, and they weren't listening. And that's how, that's how the idea for Topodot got started. So that's actually with the, the, you know, kind of how, how we got to at least the genesis of our own software of Topodot. Well, that was an even earlier story than I had heard in the past. So thank you for sharing. Now, that was an early time when you were 
seeing all the new scanners. So what was your first experience with mobile mapping data and what have you seen in its progression? So give us a little bit of prehistory and a progression analysis, if you will. Yeah, so I think the best way to, to look at what, how it's evolved and what's happened is that there was an appreciation early on for the potential, so to speak, of point clouds in transportation. It was very tedious and hands-on, collecting one point at a time. That's the traditional survey. You've everyone's seen the, the, the you know, we, you were in a survey environment here, but for those who may not really understand or may not be surveyors, uh, the guys you see on tripods taking one point at a time, measuring it, that's how it was done, you know. And of course, you know, I'll, I'll kind of keep my examples to, uh, to transportation corridors, which is what we do most of, but we can, you know, buildings, it all applies. This idea of a, of a 3D picture that, you know, creating a 3D picture of anything, it, it was very appealing. So basically, uh, early on, the scanners showed the potential of that. But 3D pictures or point clouds, and, and you kind of think of them as 3D pictures, pixels with spatial information, right? There's a fundamental difference that everybody missed as the uh, industry and as the technology was, was being developed. They could see a point cloud and see everything in there, but they didn't quite understand to make the connection between you know, what a, at a randomly sampled image is and the difference between that and survey data. Because when you survey something in the field, traditionally, there's intelligence to the point. Right. A surveyor understands and goes and finds a point and gives and sends it. It's the corner. It's a flow line of a curb. It's the back of a curb. He gives it a name. He tells you what that point is, and then he tells you where it is. Well, he's done a lot. He's already done extraction in the field, so to speak. The problem with point clouds is that you're just wiping the world with dots. Right. You don't know. There is no intelligence in them. So there was a thought process where you're just going to be able to click on the right point because there's so many points out there. Well, as, as, as time went on, these point clouds were being produced and people started to realize there's never a point where you want it, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> It's, it's not. And, and it actually becomes trickier in transportation than it does in, say, close-range buildings. Because the first successful applications of point clouds, when I say successful, I was talking about economically successful, was more in the piping and, and, and facility management industry, you know? Right. Because you're dealing with things 10 feet away. And they had the ability with early phase scanners and things, you know, early back in the early 2000s, which were much faster than pulsed back in those days. So they would just work inside. They wouldn't work outside in the sunlight. But you could do a building and you had so many points, you could actually click a point and be within a half a millimeter of where you were. And they're very dense data, but it worked. And they could do things that were productive. When you go to transportation, when you go to land survey, when you go outside, the world is fundamentally, um, we're going to say flat, and it's not over a short distance um, in our world. And, and, you know, there's curve to the roads and things like that, but you're, you're actually skimming very quickly, you're skimming the top of surfaces of a ground, you know, without coming from the air, you're skimming yeah. in the top of the surface. And the, you know, and when you're doing the, the, high, des the high density kind of thing you want to do for, uh, that we got involved in. And you don't have, the points are spread far apart very quickly. And, and, and they get, um, and they have, you know, physical attributes to the data that, that break down a little bit when you're very shallow angles to the surfaces. So the bottom line is the point cloud wasn't that dependable as picking a point and saying, that's where it is. It just never worked. 
So we had to look at it all differently. So it's a long answer again, I can't, but I hope that sheds some light on it. Yeah, that's a lot of great background because uh, often when we talk about mobile mapping now and point densities, they're so unbelievably high comparatively to that one single point a surveyor was providing uh, over a wide area. Um, but we kind of miss sometimes that complexity of not only describing where the point is geospatially, but what the point is uh, physically. Yeah, it's that idea of an intelligent model. And that's where, mm -hmm. interestingly enough, early on, so you went back to the early data. In the first mobile LIDAR systems, they took an approach that it was kind of interesting. The first mm -hmm. manufactured mobile LIDAR systems actually took airborne systems, and they were very successful. The company did that. And they brought them down and threw them on a van and took the same mobile GPS. The uh, IMUs, the, the inertial systems, and said, okay, let's just you know, drive down the road because this works very well in the air. And then from the air, you know, basically you're flying and you're doing the same thing. It's the same system in the air than it is on the ground, give or take, but you know, fundamentally yeah. the same. So their approach was to say, okay, we're going to use the same workflow, the same process, because it works in the air. Well, what do they get out of the airborne data. Well, the airborne data, there was a lot of software out there and we had used it in Regal. I was still at Regal in those days, you know, I mean, I was still there and we used that software and it would basically take all these points and make a DTM. And basically, I think um, the company that did that really, really kind of went out and didn't do their homework on the market research because a DTM that's say half meter accurate, one foot accurate, 30 centimeter accuracy, one foot accuracy, whatever, and you're doing wide area mapping, it's very, I mean, it's very good data for that. Finding a curb line, and to, uh, so, but a DTM to then that application is very different. And I say that the model, the digital terrain model, right. is very different for that application than it is for a transportation engineering type application, where the complexities increase of the processing extraction complexities increase uh, by orders of magnitude, when you have to sign off to 10 millimeters accuracy, so to speak, say a level one survey, and someone has to sign off and put their survey license on the line, it has to be built to that and verified to that. Mm -hmm. So what happened early on was the data didn't support that accuracy. There was relatively large misalignments between overlapping scans. The data was fuzzier. Uh, the platform wasn't as stable. And these are early on. I don't want to, you know, it was just early on in the technology. So I don't want to yeah. pass aspersions on anyone. But you had scanners that were eight feet apart on a platform flopping around on the side. So you can imagine what the data started looking like. Right. So you couldn't feed the downstream operations that has made mobile LIDAR successful. They weren't accurate enough. The models couldn't be extracted. They couldn't be verified. And even then, the scanners weren't as fast. So if you're driving 50 miles an hour, seems like a lot of points. Uh, 100,000, 200,000 a second, you know, back in that day, uh, until you're driving 50 miles an hour and you realize there's six inches between every line of data you have too. So all kinds of things, not being able to pick up the right features, not being able to know exactly where the data is, not being able to verify that, that became a real problem early on. Yeah. Yeah. So we overcame that. And I just probably, and, and I think Regal took a big part in that, in overcoming that. And I can, I like, I like to explain that actually. Yeah, I think the uh, the VMX was a, a big step in the right direction uh, due to its compact nature, I think was one of the big successes. 
Well, it was interesting because, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I say what, what happened was, uh, and, and Rico did, did some, you know, as they always do, did some very smart things. We had, by that time, we had actually started developing TopoDi within Regal because we just needed an extraction software for static, for everything, right? Yeah, you had to get the data out. So we started doing that. And so that, that process already started. We were fortunate to get some uh, good programmers in, in our staff at, at Regal early on. And uh, we started just doing extraction. And we started to understand the data much better and the problems. So... The first time I did a road extraction, even with static scanners, you know, so let's go a little before mobile. It was, we had the data was pretty, it was good because we were on a tripod and we were able to do it and we did a mile of data. And, uh, and then we realized when we extracted a mile of data, I, we had five people and they figured they did about 40,000 mouse clicks to get the data, out, you know, to get the uh, deliverable out. Ooh. And, and uh, that wasn't an underestimate at all. And. I realized what was, you know, wrong with the software at the time, right, right. you know, and how it could be done better. But uh, when, so when we kind of spun off with TopoDot early on, there was still a lot of legacy systems that were, uh, you know, we started actually looking at data. And one of the, one of the first, in addition to extraction of the brake lines and things, one of the real contributions we made to the early industry was looking at the quality, kind of getting a, a process for, extra, for assessing the quality of data. And we had, we developed tools for that. And uh, we'd like to say we're really, you know, brilliant, but the problem was we were just actually doing projects and realized we needed quality tools because if you extract and find all these anomalies, you start that process and then the process breaks down because there's a misalignment of two tenths between data, you know, 30, 40, 50 millimeters and you're, and nobody knows what to do anymore, right? Everybody stops. So we had needed a way to assess that automatically up front to realize what we were dealing with. Same thing was, does the data meet control? So we were like saying, you know, how good is it? And we realized that, that was a big part of the, of the process that was missing as a way to actually provide, basically uh, assess the quality of the data. So when we started developing those tools, we started looking at all those early legacy systems, all those early systems that were out in the field, and we started showing everything that was a problem with it. You know, you could see clearly now when we did uh, like our quality assessment tool that looks at the deviations between, you know, scan levels in, 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 the, right. in the mobile LiDAR. You know, it's a quick color code. It's really fast. But the bottom line is, you know, we use that and say, oh my gosh, look, there's, you know, the color code, the color code heat map of the uh, LiDAR overlap of multiple passes is misaligned, you know, here, here, and here. And we started going down. And so, we started showing people the misalignment. So early customers that were using the, the earlier software that would just take all these point clouds and, get, and make a DTM automatically out of them, we would go back and say, well, here's how it's misaligned. Here's a cross-section. Here's four or five passes of data, and they're all two and three-tenths apart. Where did you get the surface? And, and isn't it kind of obvious why you don't know where that surface is? And it's not matching up to your control. Or, you know, and to your control survey or your reference points. So we kind of early on, we showed the problems with the current data that was out there. But more importantly, we gave the market and transportation departments and geospatial companies a way of assessing it with confidence. That was the first step in making the data usable. Right. So then, of course, Regal came into the, into the picture with their VMX. And that really was a, was a game changer. Basically, with Regal, we started seeing the first Regal systems were bringing in really good data. 
And we were, again, we were kind of neutral in the world, but we were just telling everybody, here's your tools. Here's how you evaluate a system. Here's how you look at the data. Look at the production time. How long can you get your, you know, how long does it take to get your data out? And how long do you get it geospatially corrected? And then basically about, you know, and then you have these tools in Tobodot to evaluate it. Right. So uh, you bring up a good point there that one of the real key factors to running any mobile system like the VMX or other, uh, but preferably the VMX, would be to uh, have a good quality control methodology. So that way, when you bring the data in for feature extraction, you already know what the quality is and aren't surprised by hiccups and bumps in it. So you talked a lot about the great uh, QAQC tools within Topodot to make sure you have the quality data you need to begin the extraction process. But uh, tell us a bit about how you would describe the extraction process within Topodot. Is it all automatic? Is it all user clicking? What's your uh, take on that? What we always focused on here was um, the success of our customers. So that sounds like a rather cliche, but I told everybody, I said, you know, we, we never let, especially early on, we never let anyone fail. And we always focused on how can you get, how can you be as fast as possible without sacrificing the quality? And then when I say quality, there's no bad data really, but does it meet requirements? You know, that's really the test. So again, I kind of spoke a long time ago about the DTMs being, you know, of construction DTMs being a much higher quality, much more intelligence. You know, every line had to have a name, you know, back a curb, front a curb. You had to know what everything was, every asset. You couldn't just make a big blob of DTM. You know, that wasn't good enough to build to. And it had to be everything you've, every break line in there had to be hit. If you were doing a level one survey, I mean, it's like someone going out with every point saying, okay, can I extract? So the extraction, we automated it to the greatest extent possible. And the first automation tools, we, but we had to make sure that every time it was, we finished an operation, it was correct. So our first tools, we kind of looked at the world a little differently. Um, if you're familiar with our tools, we kind of take cross sections and, and you used to basically click on three points and, or, 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 and then carry those three points down in a profile to say a break line of a curb. Early on, the cleanup was the biggest part in the beginning. So we kind of accelerated our tool. We built in things in our tools that even if they were like, say, semi-manual, we did away with a lot of cleanup. So that was the first step in, in that saved time. And let's fast forward to today. Our, our manual curb line extraction has become completely automatic. Oh, wow. You say, this is the profile I'm looking for, and it will go and extract the lines automatically. And then we mix that with quality tools that can do an adjustment because we know corridors are complex. So as you go do this curb lines automatically, we can even adjust the elevations. However, you can never really find where the brakes occur. You know where the where the driveway starts and ends. You know and uh, and where it, you know where that slope because it's not so much finding that point when you found it. It's just as you go along a line. You know you have to somebody have to look at. You know anybody knows how Topodot works understand this. But we kind of always give Topodot a hint. Like here's your curb line. Draw a line. You know just from the top view. I want that curb. And then we know where to look for the data and how to look for it. Right. And, but the bottom line is where the breaks occur is a little difficult. So we, we actually give you tools now to go backwards and just very quickly go through all the lines you've extracted and insert, delete, just adjust, and then just do a quick QAQC at a mouse click to know, you know, yes, it's correct. That's very true. And I think in the industry, everyone that's worked with Topodot uh, really does know that you are very focused on their, on their success. 
And that's one of the reasons why we have a lot of great fans out there because of that process. One of the big areas we'll be moving in very aggressively in the next year, we'll be focusing on our process for data fusion, uh, especially within our new software suite that will be uh, coming out at the start of the new year, our revamped. It's interesting. We've, um, I'll tell you what, uh, you know, we, we should probably, you know, catch up on, on some of the things that we've gotten the, the 417 project up here, you know, that oh, uh, yeah. our friends at Mazer did. Great project, UAV and, and mobile. Um, to be honest, you know, we've, the data fusion is, it, we, we kind of like to keep the origins of every data set separate. So we kind of simplify things. Uh, so okay. as you know, there's another component to Topo Dot, which is Topo Cloud, which is an administrator. Mm-hmm. So we just basically say, here's how you organize your data, and here's how you can store it on the cloud on your account and get to it within a minute. Any data you've ever had, you can get to it within a minute. But I, I'd like to thank you, Josh, for inviting me to do this and to share our thoughts here. It's always a pleasure working with, with you and your team. It was Regal's innovation that made this all start start you know that regal's focus on quality focus on performance yeah that made the uh, that really made this the uh the, the surge we're seeing in, in mobile lidar and the vmx kind of type applications and and similar and you know the the, the minivox and things like that that really made it happen so uh, you know, we we're, we're glad you're out there because we need good data we need data that can do it you know we can't make it better. Well, same here. We're glad you guys are out there uh, helping us to helping our clients deliver data to their end customers in a timely and efficient manner. Because that's that's a huge part of the equation. We can collect data as fast as can be now, but if you can't do anything with it, it just sits there in a hard drive, collecting dust. Well, thank you very much for your time this morning, Ted. Always a pleasure to uh, hear from you and learn something new. Don't be a stranger. Thank you, Ted, for the wonderful conversation today and catching up a little bit about all the great things in the world of point clouds. This has been another Road Trips with Josh in the VMX. Thank you for listening and take care of one another. Thank you, Ted, for taking the time to sit with us today and share your expertise. It's truly enjoyable to hear how a need and an idea can come together to create such a wonderful product. And don't forget, You can subscribe to our RyeCast anywhere you listen to podcasts and the Regal Ultimate LiDAR webinar series through our international newsroom on www.regal.com. You, the Regal users, give us the best stories to tell. We always appreciate your suggestions. So please continue to send us your ideas or comments to communications at regalusa.com. And as always, have an ultimate LiDAR day. And until next time, Miranda signing off.